Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. It is my privilege this morning to share God's word with you. And this is what I know. If you like NASCAR, you probably enjoy weddings. Now, I know that's a a really weird comparison, but just hear me out, right? Just, Just hear me out. Let's first of all talk about NASCAR, right? We love NASCAR because of the car wrecks, right? If there were no car wrecks. All we'd be watching is a a three-hour fast-paced Sunday drive in a circle, right? But we enjoy NASCAR because there's that tension that something might happen, right? When we're pushing the limits of how fast we should be going as humans. I mean, it's an amazing thing to watch, but without the car wrecks, it's kind of just boring. Now, when it comes to weddings, it's kind of the same thing, right? Now, we love to say that, that your wedding or my wedding was special and unique, but let's be honest, all weddings are pretty much the same, right? You go to the church, and in the church is the pastor, the bridal party, the bride and the groom and the family and friends, right? That's who's there. And then the bride walks down the aisle, and you hear the scripture reading, and you hear a sermon that sounds like many of the other wedding sermons that you've heard, They repeat the words back and forth. They make their promises. They say their I do's. They do all that stuff. And then you leave and you go to the party, right? And when you show up at the party, what do you find? There's food and there's cake and there's dancing. And for the most part, all weddings are very much the same. But there is a NASCAR element within the the wedding ceremony and within the wedding party. It's the wedding speech, Right? This is typically done by the maid of honor, or it's done by the best man. It might be done by somebody else if the, the bridal party or the, the bride and the groom are not very wise, and they think, hey, an open mic is a great idea. And so somebody stumbles up there, maybe after drinking too much or isn't very good with their words, and they start sharing stories with everybody who they should not be sharing stories with. Right? There's a place for stories about ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends and breaking the law, right? There's, there's a place for that, but it is not the wedding in front of your mom and your dad and your pastor, right? But here's the thing. The rest of us who aren't intimately connected to the wedding, right? We're not the groom or the bride or the mom or the dad. We love those things. Those are the car crashes in this scenario, right? Those are the things that make us remember this wedding forever, And we love those things. Now, this week I was thinking about it and I was wondering, what would it be like to go to a wedding with Jesus? Now, as we look through scripture, we get kind of this this tension of sometimes it'd be awesome and sometimes it would be downright horrible. See, sometimes Jesus turned water into wine to keep the party going, right, for the wedding. And that would have been amazing. And you'd love to be with that Jesus 
But then sometimes Jesus gets a hold of the mic and he makes an awkward speech and everyone gets uncomfortable. Well, today we're going to experience the latter of those two options as we look into the gospel of Luke. And this is the story that we read. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. And so we find Jesus at a party. Now, we don't really know what type of party that Jesus is at, but we can kind of maybe assume or assess that from the story he's about to tell that he might be at a wedding. And so let me tell you about Jewish weddings. You see, over time, just like our weddings, they became more and more and more elaborate. They started off very, very simple, right? It was like an introduction. Hey, this is going to be your husband. This is going to be your wife. There's the tent. You're married. That's how it started. But over time, they became more and more and more elaborate to the point that during Christ's day, they were seven to 14 day long celebrations that would actually move all the way over the Sabbath. I mean, these were big, big, big deals. And this is where Christ finds himself. And in that day, just like we have in our day, I have to imagine there's toasts, there's speeches. And this is where it gets awkward. And this is where it gets uncomfortable. Because Jesus gets a hold of the microphone and he gets everyone's attention in the wedding and he tells them a story. And this is the story that he tells. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor. So he begins to tell them a story. And why is he telling the story? He's telling the story because he's observed what's going on at the wedding. And so when he starts telling the story, his table starts getting a little bit uncomfortable because they've probably been talking about this, gossiping about this, whispering about what they've seen because someone sat in a place they shouldn't sit because they were not the person of honor, but they were sitting there anyways, right? It was the talk of the table. And Jesus, after seeing this, says something that most people would receive as common sense. Right? When you go to a wedding, you don't sit where the bride and groom should sit or where the bridal party should sit. You don't sit where the family should sit. You don't sit where it says reserved. Right? We, we all get this. But Jesus starts talking about this, and the table goes quiet. But Jesus probably has some cheerleaders in the midst of this. I mean, Peter was really bold, and James and John, they were really, really loud guys. And so they're probably spurring Jesus on and saying, hey, yeah, go get him, Jesus. You tell them off. I mean, James and John and Peter, they were like the type of people that you go to a restaurant with and they order a steak that's medium rare. And when the steak shows up, it's medium. And they tell the waiter that they need to bring it back, right? Get them their medium rare steak. That's the type of guys that they love the tension, right? They love the conflict. But the other disciples, I have to believe that they were very different. Right, they were the type of people that's probably a little bit more like me, that if I order a steak that's medium rare and the person brings me chicken nuggets, I don't ask for my steak. I ask for dipping sauces for my chicken nuggets. So these type of people, right, these type of disciples, when Jesus does this, they're so uncomfortable. And they just like put their head into their hands because they don't want to be a part of this conversation. And they're probably like, Jesus, shh. We don't need to do this. We don't need to call people out. We don't need to have these conversations. But this is why Jesus says this, right? This is why 
you do not sit in the place of honor. Because he goes on, in case that someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. Right? We get this. Right? Right? We get this. Right? Don't go to a wedding party and then put your place, put your seat in a place that's just open where it's supposed to be someone who's special. Right? Don't go sit with the family just because there's an open spot. Don't sit with the bridal party just because there's an open spot. Right? Even if you've heard that Uncle Rob isn't going to show up and Uncle Rob's wife isn't going to show up, you don't just make your way into the open spot because it's a much nicer seat with a much nicer view. Now, why would Jesus say this? He says, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. Now, just imagine this scenario. You heard Uncle Rob and his wife, they aren't showing up. And so there's two spots in a prime place. And you think, well, what's it going to hurt? I'm, I'm a close friend to the bride and groom. I'll just sit in their spot. But all of a sudden, guess what happens? Here comes Uncle, Uncle Rob. Here comes his beautiful wife. And they see you in their spot. And they see their name place in front of you. And they don't want to make a scene. And so they go to the bride and the groom and say, look, there must be some mistake this, this friend, we don't know who it is, must be one of your friends. He's sitting in our spot, our specific reserved spot. We don't want to make a big deal, but that is our spot. And the bride and the groom, they want to make everyone happy on their big day. They want to make sure that Uncle Rob is happy. And so what do they do? They go to the table. They go to the table and they go to you and say, hey, I'm sorry, there must have been a mistake. This is the spot for Uncle Rob and his wife. And you're so uncomfortable and it's so awkward and you're so embarrassed. And you grab your jacket and you grab your purse and you grab the water because you've been drinking out of that already. Maybe you've even eaten some food. So you have to take your water and your plates and gather all your things and, and make your way over to an empty table. Well, which table is open by this point in time at a wedding? The answer is the worst table. The table behind the view behind the pole with no view right next to the bathroom, right? And there's always one at a wedding. So you grab your stuff and you sit down. Well, Jesus continues. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. Right? So Jesus says, this is how you can do it poorly, but this is how you can do it well. But when you show up to the wedding, sit down at the lowest place, right? Sit at the table with no view with the pole in front of you right next to the bathroom. Sit at this table. Now you're probably thinking, why would I do this, Jesus? No one wants to sit at that table. Well, he goes on to explain. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. I mean, just imagine this. You go to this wedding. You sit down at the worst possible table and then all of a sudden, the bride and the groom, who everyone is paying attention to every moment of the wedding because it's all about them, they take special notice of you, their good friend, who does not have a great seat, who does not have a great view, who maybe doesn't get all the perks of sitting at a better table, and they make their way over to you, even though they have so much to do. They say, you are a close friend. We want you to bring you up to sit with the family because guess what? Uncle Rob and his wife, they didn't make it. And we have two spots just for you. 
So Jesus, he gives us the application now. He's not just sharing with us how to be good wedding guests, right? There's always something more at the table. And so this is what he says. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Right, if we think we're a big deal, if we think we're on the top of the mountain, if we, if we have a big head, what's the only direction that we can go? The answer is down, to be humbled and disgraced. So Jesus says, instead, humble yourself. Think yourself as the least important person in the room. And what's the direction you will go? Up. Take an acknowledgement of who you are. And as Christians, we should really get this, right? We should really understand this because this is what we know, that we are nothing. We are broken and sinful and dead in our sins. So everything we receive is a gift from God. Everything that you have is a gift from God. Your talent, your personality, your looks, your job, your intelligence, Everything is a gift from God. So God says, be humble and understand that. Be humble and understand that everything that you have is a gift from me and that I will lift you up. But Jesus, he's not done. And he moves on. He says this. He said, also to the one who had invited him. Now, Jesus moves on. He's talked to the whole community now. He's kind of called out some people who are sitting in a spot they shouldn't be sitting And now who does he talk to? The one who invited him. Now, this might be the mom or the dad of this wedding scenario. It might be the bride or the groom, right? Someone important, the most important person at this wedding or one of the most important people at this wedding. And he starts talking to them. And this is where the disciples get really nervous because now he's not just talking to everybody. He's talking to the person who actually invited him. And this is where Matthew probably grabs him by the elbow and says, Jesus, I think it's time to go home. I think this is done. I think we've had uh, enough fun. I mean, your story was really great. Thank you so much for that. But let's get out of here, right? But of course, that doesn't stop Jesus. And so the story moves on. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. So Jesus starts on to the next story. Right, another one of his parables. Now, you probably know this already, but we're in the middle of a sermon series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And we've been looking at these parables, which are heavenly stories brought down to us so we can understand things about life and our relationship with God. Right? These are what parables are. And so Jesus uses them to transform lives. In fact, this is part five, if you're wondering. And so if you missed out on part one, two, three, or four, you can go to our website and catch up. But these are the stories that Christ is telling. He's telling them from a posture of love because he wants people to experience the transformation that he has for them. And he's willing to make it be uncomfortable. So he even goes to the host and he says, look, this is how you should host. When you throw a party, don't invite your friends and all the people that you like. And now everyone's thinking, Jesus, what in the world does this mean? Who wants to throw a party with people they don't like? Who wants to throw a party without their friends or their family or their relatives or their neighbors, right? Who wants to do that? Why would you do that? Well, Jesus continues. In case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. All right, if you invite these type of people, 
they might repay you. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't give to get, right? Don't give to get. Don't invite your family member because they might do something nice back. Don't invite your rich neighbor in hopes that someday they might actually pour some lavish gift upon you, right? Don't give things to people who can repay you. And he goes on to give the counter to this, and this is what he says. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, I got to be honest. In our modern context, this is super weird, right? Why would you want to throw a party and invite all these people that you probably don't know who have all sorts of issues that they're dealing with? And in the Jewish section of time, right, right during this time when Christ is teaching, it'd be even more awkward and uncomfortable because every one of these people that Christ just listed were unclean, which means just being near them would make you unclean at least for a season. And they had this understanding of life at this point in time that was permeating. It, was, it wasn't true, but they had really bought into it that if you were unclean, if you had some sort of infirmity, right, that God didn't like you very much that you were sinful and you were getting your just desserts. So when Jesus says, invite these people, they're like, well, why would we invite these people? First of all, I'm going to be unclean. And second of all, why would I reward people who have sin in their lives? Unfortunately, this idea has crept into our modern church too. Sometimes we have this false notion that, that God blesses or rewards those who have more faith than other people, right? If you're sick, you just don't have enough faith. If you don't have enough money, you must not have enough faith. But that's not true. So Jesus says, hey, when you're throwing a party, this is the type of people that I want you to invite. Now, why would he say this? Because these are the type of people that need the party, right? These are the type of people that need the food and need the banquet to survive. And so he moves on. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus gives them this amazing promise that if you do this, if you care for those who are in need, who cannot repay you, you will get repaid, but not from them, from someone who has much more than them. You will be repaid by God in eternity. If you invest in these people, you will pull back. You will get back so many things in eternity from the source of all life and all riches. So as Jesus finishes this story, we're left with this question. Are you investing well? Now, of course, I'm not talking about the stock market because no one wants to talk about the stock market right now, right? It's just kind of a mess with this COVID-19 thing going on. Everything's tanking. We get that. So obviously, we're not talking about that. And you might be thinking, are you really going to talk, really talk about money right now, Pastor? The answer is, we're not really talking about money either, right? I know a lot of you are going through financial hardships, and so I'm not talking about money necessarily. I'm talking about the investment of your life. The investment of your life. Are you investing well? Now, your life has a lot of things within it, doesn't it? There's time, talent, and treasure. There's everything that you have, everything that God has given you, are you using it to impact his kingdom? Now, I got to tell you, 
I was a little bit uncomfortable about this sermon today, especially with what's going on, especially because of the financial crisis in our nation. I was uncomfortable talking about this story. But as I thought about Christ's disciples and how Christ taught these stories and made everyone uncomfortable, I realized that he actually didn't make everyone uncomfortable. You see, he made some people uncomfortable because a story affects people differently depending on the hearer. And depending on your generosity journey, you hear the story differently. For some of you, you haven't started this in your life yet, right? You haven't invested well yet. And so this makes you a little uncomfortable. You might feel like I'm even attacking you, much like those people who sat at the chosen table who shouldn't have been there felt attacked in that day, right? Maybe you're taking account of your life right now and you're thinking, you know what? I don't actually give yet. Or when I give, I give towards ministries that now that I think about it, I'm actually giving to the ministries because they benefit me. Right? I buy something for the church that I can use. Or I give to ministries that only impact my kids. And we realize that we actually get in the cycle of giving to get. Or when we invite somebody out to lunch, are we expecting that we're setting up a tab for them in the future that they're going to have to take us out for lunch because we're actually giving to get and we're not just giving to give. Or we give a gift to somebody hoping that they give us a nicer gift back. Are we giving to get? Are you investing well? You see, there's another group of people in the room or at least listening online right now too that actually receive this as affirmation. And when Jesus told this story in this wedding, a lot of people received this as affirmation because they were already humble enough. They were sitting at the lowly table and they were hoping to get the upgrade. In the same way, I believe that a lot of you are receiving this as affirmation right now because I've seen over the last two weeks, many of you invest well. You are people who have resources, are still working, and you've decided to give more to the kingdom of God, right? To support the ongoing ministries of our church or whatever your ministry might be, whatever your nonprofit that you're giving to. I know you have sacrificed more in this time to make sure that people are cared for. I know you are investing well. I know that many of you are going to your neighbor and putting a sign on their door and saying, hey, look, I'm a low-risk person and you're a high-risk person and I want to care for you. Tell me what I can get at the grocery store for you. Tell me what medicine you need and you're investing well. Some of you right now, honestly, you know you've been laid off. You don't have money coming in. It's a very scary time, but you're still investing well. Right, you're connecting and praying and you're serving at the food bank and you're helping people out even though you don't have financial resources, but you do have time and you do have talent and you're investing well. And if you fit that category, as you hear the story, you should hear it as a word of affirmation. But this is what Christ isn't trying to do. He's not trying to set up two groups of people. He's not just saying, hey, you guys are failing or you guys are bad and you guys are good or you're succeeding, right? That, that's not the point. You see, Christ always spoke out of spirit of love. He always wanted people to experience transformation. And so he shares with them, hey, look, this is how you can do life better. Don't invest in the temporary, invest in the eternal. And that's why he gives us this promise. Hey, look, if you invest well, if you care for people who cannot give back, 
If you pour your time and your talent and your energy and all things that I've given you into kingdom building, then there's something very special waiting for you. You see, we're all investing in our lives, but not all of us will receive the return. So invest in a way that in the end, you have eternal riches. You'll find more trouble trying to hide.